0: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Joe Miller, uh, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to share with you this morning. You may not know me. My wife and I and our two sons moved here to Raleigh last summer. I'm in the middle of working on a PhD in Old Testament, and we started attending here at New City around last Thanksgiving, and I'm uh, uh, thrilled that Dylan has given me the opportunity to share with you today from God's Word. And so with that in mind, please pull out your Bible and I'd love for you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you're welcome to grab one out of the seat back in front of you, and the page will be up on the screen. Uh, And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you as a gift from this church and make good use of it. Uh, Now, like I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do, and I'm going to just go ahead and read through our text for the day. Uh, So 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, starting in verse 1, read along with me. It says this, "'Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife?' like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas, which is another name for Peter? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't He really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake, because he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If if others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Right? Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. I'm a procrastinator. Any other procrastinators here in the house? All right, very good. Uh, And I'm a certified procrastinator professional. It took me actually halfway through my master's degree before I would work on an assignment before the night before it was due. Uh, And the funny thing about procrastinating, if you know anything about it, is that I still manage to do it even when it makes me miserable. Uh, you know, I know that I'm still going to have to do the thing that I'm putting off. I know that I have even less time to do it in than what I have now, and so it's making my life worse and not better, but here I, here I go anyway. Uh, and you may or may not be a procrastinator, but these kinds of things happen a lot in our lives, don't they, where we, we know what we ought to do to improve our lives, but we don't do it. I mean, it could be exercise, it could be backing up your computer, it could be going to the dentist right? Sleeping, for some of you, is an issue. Uh, but when we know what we need to do to improve our lives, and for whatever reason we choose not to do it, that's a shame, isn't it? But you know what's even more than a shame is when we don't know what could improve our lives, even though we should. That's not a shame. That's a tragedy, right? At least with the former, it's on me, right? I, I, my life is miserable, but hey, it's my choice, right? When... <laughs> When there's something that could revolutionize your entire existence, maybe something that was right under your nose this entire time, and for whatever reason you've been blind to it, when that sort of situation occurs, it's like there's this mix of jubilation and frustration that takes place. Because on the one hand, you're excited that your life can improve from here on. But on the other hand, you're, you're, you feel kind of cheated that you haven't known about this thing sooner. Right? Like the, the symbol for your gas on your dash. right? I, I remember when I realized that it pointed to the side of the car where your gas tank was, so that every time I pulled to the gas station, I had to think, okay, I'm in the focus today. Does that mean that I'm on the driver, or is that the other car? And half the time, you have to, like, reverse and back up to the other side. Uh, or, or the onesies that, that, that have these flaps on the tops of them. As I mentioned earlier, my wife and I, we have two sons. Liam is three, Judas is one. And I can't tell you the momentous occasion it is. When a parent realizes for the first time that these flaps allow you to to take the outfit down over the body when your child has blown out of his diaper, as 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 opposed to up over the body, bringing poop with it everywhere, in the hair, and all this, like, why did not you not tell me about this sooner? I'm very offended about this. (laughs) Can you think of a time in your life where there was something that happened like this? It might not be stupid like one of these examples. It could actually be serious. Uh, like a relationship that was more toxic than than you thought or you would admit, Uh, or a career path that you poured time and energy into only to come to find that you had an unclear picture of what that career actually entailed. Uh, Or you may have thought that God looked and acted a certain way and expected you to look and act a certain way, only to come to realize that 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 understanding was formed more by cultural values and and traditions than how God has revealed Himself to us through the Word and Spirit. And if you've been in one of those places, you might have wished that someone had told you about these things sooner. So with that in mind, I want to be a good friend to all of us in the room today and and help make you aware of something that I believe has the potential to change your life. Uh, It's something that I have no doubt all of us are familiar with, Probably we even come in contact with regularly in our lives, but for whatever reason, even though some of us might be taking advantage of this certain something, I would guarantee that most of us aren't leveraging it to its fullest potential, and some people in this room are just downright ignoring it. Are you intrigued? I'm talking about the Old Testament. I know, surprise, the guy who's getting his PhD in Old Testament thinks it's important, right? Big deal. (laughs) Uh, but hear me out. Uh, it's my guess that for some or maybe even most of us here today uh, that that one of the following statements that we're going to put on the screen would uh, you would identify with as how you interact with or or at least have a relationship with the Old Testament and by extension the God that we encounter in the Old Testament. As we put these things up on the screen, I'd love for you just to kind of keep a mental track in your head of how many of these things you would say maybe applies to you or your understanding. Okay, so Maybe you tend to think of the God of the Old Testament as harsh and judgmental, uh, whereas the God of the New Testament is loving and merciful. Or maybe you would say that the Old Testament presents a different way of salvation than the New Testament. Or you believe that most of the Old Testament has been superseded by or rendered obsolete by the New Testament. Or maybe another way of saying that is that you believe that much of the Old Testament doesn't apply to you as a 21st century American Christian. And if you do interact with the Old Testament, most of your interaction with the Old Testament occurs in books like Psalms or Genesis or Exodus or Proverbs. And on the other hand, you've never read books like Obadiah or Nahum or Zephaniah. Uh, Now, if any of these sound like you, I'd like to inform you of something this morning. Uh, You're missing something big by skipping out on the Old Testament. Uh, it's my hope that by the end of this message, by the end of our time together, that you will be willing to at least consider that the more of these kinds of sentiments uh, we identify with, the more impoverished our relationship with God is, or at least could be as a result, and the more we're missing out on one of the greatest resources that God has given us to transform our lives. So, how did we do? In fact, I... This might be, I apologize to all the introverts in the room, but I would like you to turn to your neighbor and actually say, tell them, how many of these, one, two, all of them did you identify? You you saw and you said, yep, that's me. Go ahead. How many? Go for it. (laughs) All right, the goal of this exercise wasn't to take all my time and neither was it for you to be... embarrassed or anything like that, I hope that by conversing just now, you realized actually quite the opposite, that maybe there were others in this room that were all in the same boat together. Um, Now, at this point, you might be thinking, Joe, this is all well and good, Old Testament, rah, 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 okay, but didn't you read from 1 Corinthians a minute ago? Like, what does that have to do with the Old Testament? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is still dealing with this big issue that was happening in the Corinthian church that Dylan introduced in his sermon last week, Uh, namely that that there was this group of Christians in Corinth that despite the fact that they had made the decision to follow Jesus, despite the fact that they were engaged in the life of the church, they had also made the decision to continue participating in these area religious feasts and festivals in Corinth that, that they were eating meat that was being sacrificed to other gods. And Paul had uh, previously condemned this type of behavior, but for whatever reason, these these Christians were still going and participating anyway, and they were to, using two different arguments to justify their behavior. Now, the first argument that they were using, uh, Dylan touched on last week, where they said that, "Listen, as Christians, we believe that there's only one God, and so how can we worship something that doesn't exist?" Right? So when we go to this temple and we eat this meat that's been sacrificed to Zeus or whoever, it's not idolatry, it's eating out. It's not like there was a Wendy's or a Chipotle on every corner back then, right? If you wanted a good steak in the first century, you didn't go to Angus Barn, you went to one of these religious festivals, right? If you didn't feel like cooking that night or you had a client that you wanted to wine and dine, you took them to one of these feasts, And Paul's response to this uh, argument was really simple. You know, Dylan kind of touched on it last week. He'll continue to explore it in the weeks ahead. Paul simply said, "Stop, right? Uh, Don't eat the meat. Just because you have a right to something doesn't make it right." Uh, Now, as you recall, I said that the Corinthians were using two arguments to justify their behavior. Their other argument wasn't aimed so much at these idols or this meat per se, but it was actually directed toward Paul himself. the Corinthians thought that if they could try to discredit Paul, that even if they told them what they could or could not do, they didn't have to listen to them. Uh, And so they started coming up with this kind of argument uh, that apparently they were saying, you know, Paul was great. He got the ball rolling on this whole Jesus thing in Corinth, and good for him with that. But you know... This wasn't his, like, this was like a part-time gig for him. Like, he wasn't like a capital M real minister. We even tried to offer to support him financially, but, but he refused. And so, does that mean does that like he's an actual apostle? Like, does that sound like an apostle to you? Because the issue was is that other leaders and teachers who had come after Paul didn't have a problem accepting support from the Corinthians. And so, the Corinthians started scratching their head and wondering that if Paul didn't accept their support, because maybe he didn't have the authority to do so. Now, by the way, this isn't a great argument. Like, I'll fully admit that, that sometimes people come up with crazy things to justify what they want to do. Uh, but but they, so they tried to connect these dots between Paul not having a right to their support and then Paul not having the right to tell them what they could or could not do. And because uh, this maybe seems like a strange argument to you, um, it may be kind of as a disconnect like you know what why should we listen to you you didn't even take advantage of us right like that is <laughs> that doesn't sound very logical but but here's what's going on i think is that you have to choose to listen to someone before you'll hear what they have to say right let me say that again you have to choose to listen to someone before you listen to what they have to say and there's a lot in this passage that we just read a few moments ago about who has what right, right? Paul has this right. Barnabas has this right. Apostles, they have this right. I have this right, right? And, and Paul is having to go through all of this because he had to convince the Corinthians that he had the right to speak to them before they would listen to what he had to say. And this thing, this kind of thing happens a lot in our lives too. Uh, I was a Discipleship pastor in a former life for about eight years at a church. And I was single for the first five years of those eight years before Lauren and I got married. And how many weddings do you think I officiated during my first five years of ministry? Now, if you guessed zero, you're exactly right, yeah. Uh, and then how many weddings do you think I officiated in my last two to three years in that ministry? About seven or eight. So that's a pretty significant uptick. But that's not even the funny part. Uh, it wasn't even a month after Lauren and I got home from our honeymoon, before a couple had approached me to officiate and we were sitting down for our first premarital counseling session together. Like, what had changed over those three weeks, right? Like, I'm so glad you didn't come to me two months ago. I would have steered you in a wrong direction, let me tell you, but now I know what I'm talking about, right? (laughs) It might not always make sense, uh, but that doesn't mean it's any less true that we have to choose to listen to someone before we're going to hear what they have to say. It could happen with a college student and their RA. It could happen with a parent and their child. It could happen with an apostle and his congregation. And it also happens with Christians trying to decide what to do with the first three-fourths of their Bible. And the ironic thing about that last one, that, that for those of us who are on the fence about whether we want to give the Old Testament the right to speak, is that, is that we're pretty cool with Paul. Right? We, we typically have no problem with Paul, but, but in this passage for the Corinthians, it's Paul who they're trying to decide whether they want to listen to. And when he's in that position, where does he go to for help? You might not have remembered, you might, but let's go back and read verse 8 again. Uh, in the middle of his argument, Paul says this. He says, am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? Paul says to the Corinthians, look, I can give you reasons why you should give me the right to speak. I can can give you examples why you should listen to me and why I have good things to inform you about your life. Uh, I can use examples about farmers and soldiers and whatever. But if you don't believe me, at least believe the law, in in essence, the Old Testament. Uh, And Paul makes this point because he believes that the Old Testament has the right to speak. And this is a big deal. Remember, what's the issue that Paul is dealing with here, right? He's dealing with Christians who want to go to these temples and eat idol meat, right? Now, the Corinthian church was made up of Jewish Christians, and it was made up of Greek or Gentile Christians. And I don't know about you, but I think that idol meat probably wasn't a big temptation for Jewish Christians. I don't know. It could just be me. Like, kosher and idol meat just don't seem to jive together, right? And so what that means then is that Paul is addressing primarily here a group of non-Jewish converts to, to Christ who I'm sure had a respect and familiarity with the Scriptures, but it's not like they were seeped in it from a young age like their Jewish brothers and sisters had been. And yet, when Paul needs to make a claim to, for something to support that he has the right to speak truth into the lives of his fellow Christians, where does he go, nevertheless? He goes to the Old Testament. He doesn't go to the Old Testament because it was a part of the Corinthians' cultural fabric. He doesn't go to the Old Testament because he's trying to evoke some nostalgia about their experiences from childhood. No, he goes to the Old Testament because he believes the Old Testament should matter to Christians, period. And I wonder if there are some here today who are happy to read the words of Jesus or Paul and take them seriously. But when it comes to the Old Testament, we have a harder time giving it the right to speak. And it might be for various reasons. You might have read something in the Old Testament that just didn't quite compute, or you couldn't write quite, you know, figure how fits into your understanding of God. Maybe a a depiction of violence in the Old Testament or or a perceived distance between God and humanity that you saw there that when you read, you said, you know what? That just doesn't sound like the God I know or that I want to know. Or maybe you read something in the New Testament that makes it sound like the Old Testament is now obsolete. I mean, even Jesus himself, several times in the Sermon on the Mount, says things like, you have heard that it was said. And then he quotes something that sounds like it's from the Old Testament. And then he says, but I say to you. I mean, doesn't that sound like he's kind of driving a wedge between the Old Testament and him and Joe? We're kind of Jesus' people here. So shouldn't we follow after Jesus' example? Now, for others, taking away the Old Testament's right to speak happens a little bit more indirectly. You might not openly come out and say that it doesn't have authority in your life, but, that still means, but you still don't give it the opportunity to speak that much. Maybe you always gravitate towards a New Testament book when it's time to do some devotions. Or when you do interact with the Old Testament, you almost always go to one of the same four or five books. And this kind of unintentional silencing even happens a lot in churches, you know. Uh, When when a pastor or a minister chooses to preach 90% of their sermons from the New Testament, what does that communicate to the congregation about the importance and the value of the Old Testament? I mean, do you know that there are even some churches out there that will take almost an entire year to just preach through one book of the New Testament? I mean, it's crazy. Like, who do these people think that they are? Now, all jokes aside, uh, seriously, I am appreciative to Dylan and the other members of staff. I hope you are too, that, that they've also in the past taken the time to preach through books like Judges and through the new, uh, old, uh, Ten Commandments. You might not realize that it's actually quite rare for churches to give uh, the Old Testament that kind of voice on Sundays. And I'm not trying to discount here that sometimes the voice of the Old Testament and the voice of the New Testament sometimes sound different and that sometimes it can be difficult for us as Christians to, to try to listen to these voices and hear harmony rather than just like conflicting noise. Um, but I'd like to encourage you, though, to, to follow Paul's example and see that the answer to when these moments of tension arise is not simply to silence the voice that we don't understand or don't want to listen to. That, that you know, I mean, when we, uh, when our routine in reading Scripture is to to cut out or ignore the parts uh, about God that we find uncomfortable. What happens then when God makes our lives uncomfortable? Now, I think you guys are sleepy because that was really good. So I'm going to back up a second, and I'm going to say that again. Uh, If we go about reading the Bible... Uh, By sticking to the parts about God that we find appealing or that we agree with and we ignore the parts that we find troubling, if we program ourselves in reading our Bible to separate ourselves from an uncomfortable God, what happens when our lives get uncomfortable? Do we run toward God or do we run away from God? Do we engage and wrestle with Him or do we abandon? Paul says that the Old Testament has the right to speak. And I think it's good when we make the choice to listen to what it has to say, even when we don't always like what we hear. Now, I wonder if for others of us here today, we might give the Old Testament the right to speak, but if we're honest with ourselves, we just don't think that a lot of what it has to say is relevant. I mean, sure, stories about Abraham and David are well and good. They can give us some sort of like moral or principle, but what do... A bunch of sacrificial laws in Leviticus or chapter-long genealogies have to do with us, right? And if you're more in that place this morning, I'd like you to note what Paul says next in verses 9 and 10. He says this, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't He really saying it for our sake? Yes, this is written for our sake. how many of you, if you were in Paul's shoes, would think, man, what what can I quote from the Old Testament? That's really going to sell my point. That's really going to win these people over to my side of this issue. I know, oxen, right? That's always the answer. I can do all things through oxen who give me strength. Can I get an amen from the crowd? Uh, No. Now, it's true that probably ancient Christians, even those living in or near a metropolis like Corinth, probably would have had a lot more familiarity with farming practices than most Americans do today. But I still think this point applies that Paul draws an important truth out of a scripture that we, and even probably the Corinthians, did not expect. Uh, he quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4, precisely one of those obscure Old Testament laws that so often we write off as no longer relevant or no longer authoritative in the lives of Christians today. And then he makes this point. He says this, the Old Testament has something to say to us, not just to them, but to us. Now, a few caveats. When Paul says, is God really concerned about oxen? I don't think he's trying to make the point here that God doesn't care about animals right? And the same way, I also don't think that when he says, isn't he really saying it for our sake, that what he means is that the Old Testament was written entirely for our sake. In fact, some uh, Bible versions choose to translate this verse that way, but that's not how God works. Like, he didn't give the Old Testament to the ancient Israelites and then say, this doesn't actually apply to you, but a thousand years from now, it's going to be good. Like, there's some people that this is really going to help, so I'm just going to put this in there. Just ignore it. No, that's not how God uh, chooses to love and act. So what I think Paul is saying here is that even when the context or the application changes, the Old Testament still has something to say to people who choose to follow and love God. <laughs> Paul could point to an obscure law in Deuteronomy and, and say to the, first, uh, to the Corinthians, this is relevant to us. And I think that's amazing, honestly. Honestly. Uh, Old Testament scholar John Gay says that, that inspiration itself means that the Spirit was involved in the production of Scriptures in such a way that it makes it significant beyond their original context. And that's big. That means that even though these scriptures were given to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific place, that long after they're gone, it continues to speak and it continues to remain relevant and it continues to remain significant again and again and again. And that's important because we that means that we, when we open up the Bible to some place like Deuteronomy and we read a law like the, God commanded the ancient Israelites to build fences around their roofs, we don't have to go, well, that's, strange, and I don't even know how that would work, so I can just skip over that. That's not important. No, we can see the entire Old Testament as a paradigm for how, what God thinks is important and what He values. And so we could look at that same Scripture, for instance, and we could say, wow, God thinks it's really important that people who follow after Him arrange their living spaces in such a way that welcomes people and gives them a place that they find safety and security. That's That's great. That's amazing. This is also important because this isn't only an Old Testament issue, by the way. This is also a New Testament issue, right? I mean, how many of you are going to leave this service and when you're trying to decide where you want to go to lunch, have to worry about hmm, is that restaurant one of those that serves idol meat? I don't know. Should we go there? Or should we not? You know, that's just not an issue for us today. So does that mean that we just jettison 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 no longer relevant? No, as an inspired scripture, both Deuteronomy and 1 Corinthians have something to say beyond their original circumstances, and it's up to us as Christians to put in the work to see what God might be saying through His Spirit, through these texts, into our lives in a way that's fresh and new and significant. Now, and I'll admit that having said that, that there might be someone in this room that's asking a perfectly valid question, uh, and that is why. Why should I put in the work? Work sounds hard, sounds difficult, and I have a lot of difficult things on my plate, thank you very much, without you adding something else. And if, you're, if that's honestly where you are this morning, first of all, I am glad that you're here, and I appreciate that even in that season of life, you make an effort to be here, And and I would answer you, if that's where you are, uh, in a similar way of what I've been saying all along this morning, is that, yes, listening to the Old Testament and the New Testament for this matter in this way might be difficult, but it's worth it if in that listening we get to encounter God in a new and significant way, if He speaks to us in fresh and life-giving ways that don't simply add on top of the difficult things in our lives but transform them. Let me give you a couple examples if, if you're not quite jiving what I mean by that. Uh, if you've ever been in a low place, and I don't mean like you wanted to go to Chick-fil-A but re- then realized it was Sunday low place. Like I mean like a real significant dark place, uh, whether it be because of grief or because of hardship or some other circumstance. Uh, and maybe you even felt trapped and more isolated because you didn't know how to vocalize what you were feeling at that moment. And and when people tried to speak hope or encouragement into you at those times, it just simply came across as as trite or cliche and couldn't quite reach where you were. Did you know that, that in the book of Psalms, the majority of the Psalms, more Psalms were written by people crying out to the Lord in situations like yours than any other type of Psalm? And so When you're in a place like that, you can go to the Psalms or to other books of the Bible like Lamentations, an entire book dedicated to that theme, and you can find people who look and sound like you. Maybe, maybe the first step for where you are is not hearing that everything's going to be okay or even that God is in control. Maybe the first step toward healing for you is knowing and recognizing that God welcomes you to voice your pain. And He's even giving you the words of other people who have gone before to help. If you've ever questioned why God would allow something to happen uh, or been confused by Him, or if we're honest, even offended by what you perceived as His action or His inaction in the world, if you, without the voice of the Old Testament, you might think that your only recourse or your only response to th- questions or doubts like that is to swallow them. And maybe somebody even told you that that's what you needed to do. They didn't read much of the Old Testament either, right? But you felt like you had to ignore or denounce them with a simple, thy will be done. I'd point you, though, to to voices in the Old Testament like Habakkuk, who questioned God in the face of the Babylonian armies steamrolling over his people. Or to other voices of protest in the Old Testament who say, not God, thy will be done, but God, thy will is not being done, and I'm begging you to do something about it. I'd point you to the fact that the first occasion of a conversation like this in the Bible occurs in Genesis 18, where God comes to Abraham and He reveals to him His intentions to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's response is not, Thy will be done, but will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Now, if you read that story closely, you might notice that God initiates that conversation, that God invites Abraham to question him. And maybe that's something from the Old Testament you needed to hear today. Uh, If you've ever looked at injustices happening around the world or even in your own community, even in your own experience, and you felt like prayer, as important as it is, don't get me wrong, just nevertheless still wasn't enough, but you didn't know what else you could possibly do to make a difference. Well, I'd introduce you to prophets of Israel like Elijah, And Isaiah and Jeremiah, these people who stood up even to their own kings and advocated for the poor and the helpless people in their society, people who God called, God called them to take action instead of remaining silent in the face of hardship and injustice so that they might help those who couldn't help themselves in the midst of their suffering. There's so much in the Old Testament that we could say together with Paul, isn't God really saying this to us? There's still so much power and life in these words when we allow the Spirit to speak through them into our lives in a new and fresh and significant way. Power that Paul depended upon in his confrontation with Corinthians. Paul, power that you can lean into in all sorts of situations in your life with conversations with those other people that you're dreading or, or in the midst of uncertainty or when faced with a difficult decision. But when you don't give the Old Testament the right to speak, that power and that life it's not going to be there when you need it most. And so here's what I'd like you to do today. If anything that I've said so far this morning has resonated with you or maybe struck a chord, uh, I'd like you to do something quite simple. And it's read something that you haven't read before. It's as easy as that, right? Uh, You might even think right now of a time in this upcoming week where you could grab a few minutes, maybe even 10 or 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. Uh, If you can think of that time, you might even write it down on your notes. And when that time comes, I'd love for you to open up your Bible to a place in the Old Testament that you've never read before or maybe at least haven't read in a long time and i'd like you to read through it it could be a chapter it could be even just a small like a story and as you're reading through it i'd encourage you to ask questions like these and let these questions guide your reading uh, questions like what does this passage tell me about who god is and is this god familiar or different than the one that i think that i know or that i'm comfortable with or you might ask how does this passage make me feel about god or about the world around me or about myself. Now, if you're willing to go through that practice, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to have like this earth-shaking, shattering experience the first or second or even the third time you do it. In fact, if you've built up a significant wall between you and the Old Testament or another part of the Bible, it, it might take a few times before that begins to chip away. But what I can guarantee you this morning, though, is what our bottom line is for the day, and it's this. If you listen to the whole Bible, what the whole Bible has to say, the God of the whole Bible will transform your life. If you listen to what the whole Bible has to say, the God of the whole Bible will transform your life so I'd love for you to give it a chance. I'd love for you to choose to listen to what the Old Testament has to say. And if you don't know where to start, honestly, uh, you're welcome after service to come up and talk to me. I'm sure Adam or Dylan would also love for you to come and ask them to help, uh, and help you kind of get on the right path and make that first step. But I'm asking you not to allow that, that voice to remain silent anymore. Let it speak truth and life into you in a way that maybe you've never realized or seen. The Old Testament has the right to speak. And even more, it has something to say to us. And so if you listen to what the whole Bible has to say, then the God of the whole Bible will transform your life. Let's pray.